HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're celebrating the food culture of South Carolina with its chef ambassadors. Oh, I'm super excited that it's soft shell crab season. <laughs> Those little suckers are delicious. People think, oh, tomato is a tomato. No, there is a, a good tomato and a bad tomato. So when they come to, to Hampton or even, you know, even in South Carolina, you can really find a incredible ingredient. We started getting lettuce from Micro Leon Farms in Conway. He's it's a, a super sweet family that runs that little farm. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, host of Tech Bites on Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. The global pandemic has eliminated or severely restricted the in-person experiences the hospitality industry relies upon to survive. Many are turning to virtual events as a way to continue to engage their customers and make money. It's crucial for restaurants to create new non-dining room revenue streams for future survival, as no one knows how long the pandemic will impact our lives. A virtual event seems the opposite of what restaurants do in real life, but many of the skills required for virtual events are things restaurants already do every day to produce a well-orchestrated service. On a positive note, a successful virtual event can open up a market far beyond a local customer base. Virtual events offer the same intimate experience to every participant, whether the audience is 10 or 10,000. A restaurant would never think to host a wine tasting event for a global audience of 100,000 people, but technology makes that possible. On Tech Bites, we've been looking at how people have been successfully moving in-person events, like wine tastings and cooking demos, to online formats. We've edited together the best advice from those shows into a step-by-step strategy for creating your own virtual event. 
The first step is to define what you want to do by asking a few basic questions. So first I would sit down and I would say, why do you want to host this gathering? And all the decisions that you make to follow, to me, always have to funnel back to those goals to make sure that you're achieving something. If you're going to put your time and resources into this, you want to make sure that at the end you can look at it and say, right, that's achieving that goal or I can measure that. That's Kristen Madden, vice president at Bowen & Company, the New York-based event and production company. I mean, as you said, I work with a lot of nonprofits and organizations, and I think when I'm in the live realm, I'm always coming at everything from a mission perspective. So I think if you're sort of sitting down and hatching your plan for this, you know, tiptoeing into the virtual realm, I think you have to ask yourself those same questions of what are your goals? Why do you want to host a virtual event? Are you building your brand? Are you raising awareness or money? Is this a revenue stream, as you were mentioning? Are you driving customers to your restaurant or to something else? Do you have a cookbook that you're promoting? There's education, communication. So I sort of look at, you know, the building blocks like a puzzle. Once you've answered why, the next question to tackle is, what type of event do you want to do? Will it be live streaming or pre-recorded? Will there be an interactive component or an ingredient kit for people to make the recipes at home? I'm doing something right now with the James Beard Foundation where we are sort of translating an experience in that way where we're having guests pick up a three-course takeout uh, meal experience that goes along with a broadcast that everybody from across the country gets to join that night. So I love the interactive layer of the meal kit or the being able to taste what you're watching. So I think I would start with the content, you know, who's going to participate in this and kind of sketch out what the production will be and then delve into, you know, what platform we'll use to reach our audience and think about that interactive layer, which is a logistical piece. If we're going to be sending out kits or having kits picked up, it would be great to have a tiered experience where you can have, you know, the people who are local who can receive your meal and your tasting experience, but also have a way for people far and away to join as well and just kind of look in if they can't get there in person. But, you know, I think that people do want to interact in some way and they want something happening live. So, if you are doing something pre-recorded, there's various opportunities. The one I was speaking of, we had the live chat, which was so fun. We had people from all across the country. Everyone's talking to each other. The chefs are chiming in. The guests are chiming in. And we were having this communal experience together while we're, you know, enjoying the, the show and enjoying dining on a meal that's been prepared by 20 chefs across the country, all different meals. So people were then posting photographs of the meal that they were enjoying in their city on a live Instagram feed that we brought into the page that we were streaming the broadcast to. So you've got the broadcast that has a mix of live and pre-recorded elements that you're enjoying. There's the live chat where you're interacting with people all over the country. There's the Instagram feed popping up so you can see pictures of what other people are eating. And then, of course, there is the the aspect of the dining element, which, you know, we layered on to speak to in the broadcast of what people are enjoying, you know, in the food and the beverage and it all, you know, linked back to each other. 
But yeah, it was it was really fun. And I was like, it, it was born out of the thought of, boy, something we can't do right now is get together with thousands of people for dinner. And how could we do that? <laughs> Chicago-based sommelier Belinda Chang thinks about the customer experience, or in the virtual world, the audience experience. For me, the first question is, how do you want to make the audience feel, right? Whether it's an internal audience of teammates or it's an external audience of clients or hopefully donors. So I think much like with the opening of a restaurant, we're trying to first, I think the really great restaurateurs, figure out what it's going to be like for the person who's going to come through the doors and in this case, log on. A really good restaurant operation is going to think about what is the first point of contact with our customer? It's when they're going to maybe Google the restaurant and look for information about it, look at reviews. Maybe they're going to go to the website. They're going to look at the menu. Then they're going to get a reservation. Are they going to do that to a service? People don't really pick up the phone and make phone calls anymore, but sometimes they do. What is that like? What happens when they answer the phone? Once you get a reservation and you get into the shoot, what are the different steps of confirmation, walking in the door, sitting down, all those types of things. Restaurant and hospitality people are very, very good at pinpointing a customer experience on a really granular level as they move through the entire experience from point A to point Z. And if we lay that type of scrutiny and thoughtfulness and preparedness onto creating a virtual event, it's in essence the same thing. Now that you know what type of experience you will share with your audience, it's time to look at the technical side of turning your restaurant into a production set. One of the first things that we need to do is basically location scout that place that you're going to use. Try to figure out how are you going to use a space that maybe wasn't traditionally meant to as a production venue and turn it into one. That's David Bengali, theater and media production designer. He's currently working on a number of virtual events, including a production of live interactive dinner theater from someone's apartment. So maybe there are ways of rearranging space or using areas within that environment that you hadn't thought of before you're trying to make it part of a virtual event. Thinking about lighting, thinking about where you're going to put the cameras and how you're going to move around through that space. And I think it's really very useful to do some test sessions where, you know, before you have uh, an entire audience there or before you're even trying to put everything together with all of the different folks who might be part of the production team to do a kind of initial scope out and try to set up a little bit of the equipment, maybe even just do it over a Zoom call and say, okay, what does it look like if we if we frame things in this part of the kitchen? How far away do we need the camera to be? Do we need more than one camera? What is lighting going to be like? What's the story with daylight and streetlight? Are there different times of day where the room might behave differently? And uh, how does sound work? Are we worried about sound from the street? Are there other things going on inside the same building that we need to plan around? And there's a lot of that work that sometimes uh, needs to happen for multiple people. We'll be right back to the big food question after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. 
Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. Welcome back to The Big Food Question. We're talking about how do you produce a successful live virtual event? We've taken a look at defining the event from the business goals and audience experience. Now let's take a look at the tech side. What type of equipment do you need to get started? So I think the first step is really to think about the kind of chain of pieces from you to your audience. So you start with you, the person who's going to be presenting, who's going to be on camera or whoever it's going to be, the talent or the host or chef or other individual. And then the next step in the chain is how are we going to see them? So that's the point where you're going to pick a camera and lighting. And we can go back and sort of talk about how you choose those things. But the next step is how is that camera signal going to get to the internet? And you have some options which are very streamlined where it's all happening on a single computer. Everything's plugged into one device and it's all happening from there. There are even some cameras out there where you don't need a computer. You can use the camera itself as a streaming platform and it will connect directly to various platforms out there. And then the next step in the chain is how are you going to edit what's happening? Is it going to all be live? Are you going to need some kind of software or hardware platform that lets you cut between different camera angles or turn on and off a view of a Zoom stream, control audio levels? Is it going to be something that has pre-recorded elements that you need to edit and insert into the event? And then the last step in the, in the chain is how is this being delivered to your audience? Are they going to be in a Zoom call? Are they going to be receiving a Vimeo link? Are they going to be on a ticketed platform with unique logins per customer? And so at each step of that chain, there are some decisions to make where asking questions about what kind of event you're trying to create and what you want your audience to feel, as Kristen and Belinda were talking about before, will help you answer the technology pieces. Once you have a list of equipment from camera to lights to computer program and broadcast platform, David recommends separating the technology into individual components as much as you can to have better control over any potential problems. From my point of view, I just think it's a really great idea whenever possible to try to separate the computer that you're doing the stuff on, as in, you know, controlling a Zoom call or 
controlling pre-recorded media or doing any of that kind of work to sort of separate that from the computer or device that is actually streaming to your platform. So one of the choices out there is OBS. It's free. That's why a lot of folks use it. It's a piece of software that lets you take different inputs and then combine those together and stream them to various online platforms. There are also hardware encoders you can get. Some of them are expensive. Some of them are extremely affordable. It's just a box. It's not even a full computer that can take video and audio signals and connect directly to a streaming platform. Whenever those things are separate from the camera and the computer that is hosting the camera, then If something happens, you know, if the camera goes down or you need to restart this, you know, some of your software, your stream is still live. There's still something going on. You can flip over to a, you know, a technical difficulties slide or or something. And it also means that you're not taking that one computer that you're doing all of the heavy lifting to produce your event on and simultaneously asking it to encode and upload video to the internet, which is actually a pretty demanding thing to have a computer do in high quality. So I think, I feel like that's really important is try to separate those two devices and then sort of work your way out from there, answering all the other questions about what camera do you want to use, one or more than one, how much lighting do you need, et cetera. And of course, the big question is, how much will it cost to make a quality production? I think, you know, for the kind of lower end cameras and encoders and things like that, you're probably going to want to spend, you know, a couple hundred dollars for something that is going to give you reliability and high enough image quality. And then lighting, depending on how large of a space you're talking about, if you're just talking about your apartment or, you know, a small kitchen, home kitchen, then a few lights each of which is, you know, $100 or $200, which, as you can see, the cost already starts to increase quickly. That'll do it. If you're talking about a larger space or you're talking about looking for really high-end cameras, then you could easily start spending in the thousands of dollars. So there's really a range. And on the software end, as I said, you know, OBS is free. And then there are other programs out there that have higher costs where it starts being in you know the hundreds of dollars range to give you more control or more reliability, et cetera. And it's also sort of similar for the hardware encoders. There's a, a hardware encoder that's really great. That's the ATEM TV Studio Pro. Uh, and I think it's like a $500, $600 thing. And then you can kind of go up from there to the kind of two, $3,000, $4,000 encoders, which let you plug in six different cameras and take in signals over the internet, et cetera. So there's really a very, very wide range. You could certainly do everything from a laptop with a webcam if you wanted, and that might be something that you already have. But I would say that if you're really trying to create an event, you probably want to at least budget, you know, I would say you want to start with a budget of at least, you know, one to $2,000 for equipment to get past the kind of webcam home Zoom call level of of quality. Once you're ready to put it all together and invite people in, treat it like any new restaurant opening. Do friends and family, practice. And if it's not perfect, Belinda says, that's okay. It's real life. 
this is virtual experience. This is new. And I think it's almost endearing when something wacky happens from our side, from the people producing these experiences. And you have to not be afraid of that. I've talked to a lot of clients where they insisted on doing pre-record for every part of it. And, you know, in my mind, I'm just thinking, what's the point of that then? You could have just recorded a video and sent that out. Why don't we like let this be real life and let this be real connection and, and real engagement? And yes, the production quality should be as great as you can make it. But also don't let that scare you from doing this because I think in many cases, especially with the restaurants and restaurateurs and the chefs and the bartenders we haven't been able to hang out with for so long, we just want to be able to hang out with them and in some cases support them by just showing up on screen for them and commenting our support while they're going through their cocktail demo or talking about wines or cooking something. So, you know, well, yes, I want to sell as many experience boxes and kits as possible for the restaurant clients. I also want to help them just get in the game, you know, because the startup costs can be very low to do this and to do it well. And yes, practice, 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 practice until that frame looks really great. And that doesn't cost a lot of money. It's a bit of time, but it will give you a better end result. And results can be big in terms of reach. Restaurants are used to thinking about how many people can I sit in my dining room? 50, 100, 200? Virtual is limitless. Belinda did a wine tasting on a Twitter live stream that has more than 1.4 million viewers to date. And I think it's sort of a pandemic positive, if you will, that, you know, we're really breaking down geographical barriers. And now there are so many things that were impossible that are now possible. And yeah, you know, we had 330,000 some live and then 1.4 people watched over the course of the time it was posted. It still is posted, so it might be even higher now. So, you know, in my mind's eye, that was 1.4 million people drinking wine along with me. So, I mean, how cool is that? That's the fun of technology and what's possible in this moment. And I'm just excited that I think this goes beyond the end of the pandemic. I want to keep doing this forever. I never have to leave my apartment. Throughout the pandemic, restaurants have been trying to figure out how to package and sell their food so that people can recreate their favorite dining experiences at home. But we all know our favorite places are more than just food and drink with a playlist. How do you capture liveness and that special real-life alchemy of your restaurant? I think that it can feel very overwhelming to produce a virtual event, particularly if it's not something you've done before. And yet so many of the pieces of that event like, can be things that you already really know very well. Ultimately, you're trying to share yourself, your own brand, your own restaurant, your own storytelling techniques that you've been using from well before they can leap into virtual uh, and leaning on those things and saying, how can I bring that into someone else's home? I think can be very successful rather than saying, oh my gosh, I have to create something that's completely new that I've never done before. And that can leave you or leave your audience with a real feeling of authenticity and connection. For Kristen, it's all about the connection to other people. But from 
just like a human standpoint and responding to liveness, I think it's about connection and inspiration and vulnerability. <laughs> so I think it is about letting people in and really showing that audience member, that person who's joining, that you see them and you care about them and, you know, looking for ways in your storytelling to keep it personal and keep people engaged and inspired. I think we all want to feel something right now. And whether it's laughing or being inspired or getting my tissue, it's just like, I like feeling things with other humans right now. And I think there's a great opportunity in the virtual world to do that. What we do in restaurants and what we do in, you know, producing in real life events is inviting people into our spaces, whether they're temporarily ours or permanently ours, and we make them feel wonderful and important and we bring whatever magic we have to bear. So I think in translating that to virtual experience, you do the same thing, invite people into your home and make it just magical, make them feel so important and try to think of everything that you can to make the experience wonderful for them. I mean, we're we're in the business here through all of these different types of experience to try and bring some joy in a in a tough time. So do that. Thanks for listening to The Big Food Question. Stick around to hear what makes our show possible. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century. Fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Rev Ciancio. The Big Food Question is produced by Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, and Jenny Dorsey, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. This episode's executive producer was Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant 
with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.